Good morning and blessed Christmas. My name is Mark. Today I'll be reading from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mark. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. My name's Ollie, and it's great to be here with you today. And what we love doing as Christians is hearing from God's Word and thinking about God's Word. We believe God speaks to us through it. So we're going to do that now for the next little while. But as we begin, I'm going to pray for us. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that you sent the light of your Son down into the world for our sake. As we think more about it and him now, would you be at work in us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the theme of our Christmas series this year has been the wonder of Christmas. And so when you think about Christmas, is wonder the word that comes to mind? Maybe when you think about Christmas, you think about the wonder of Christmas books. Uh, this is a Christmas book that exists, Christmas Wonder Down Under, and this is the tagline. They say, crack a bang, stars above, Christmas wonder, peace and love. The unique magic of an Aussie Christmas in per is perfectly captured in this joyful celebration of love, pavlova, and precious family moments. Maybe that's Christmas wonder. Or maybe when you think of Christmas, you think of the Christmas wonder of Christmas lights. This is, uh, oh, there we go, that's the one we want. Christmas lights. You drive down the street at night, you see all those wonderful lights there, and you feel a sense of wonder. Now, actually, this house is one of the houses of one of the families in our church. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. They do a wonderful job. This is their house. But that is Christmas wonder. Or maybe when you think of Christmas wonder, you think of the gifts and the presents. I'm sure all you kids, you've got good presents so far. For Levi, uh, this is what I'm getting. He hasn't opened it yet. He's up the back. I'm sure he won't notice. Uh, that's what we're getting him for Christmas this year. Christmas wonder. Giant Thomas set. And it's Christmas wonder. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of Christmas. Christmas really is a time of wonder. But do you know what the dictionary definition of wonder is? I was curious, so I went and looked it up. Uh, this is what it is. A feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. Is that what you think of when you think of Christmas? What do you reckon? Is that a good definition of Christmas? When you think of Christmas, do you get a sense of amazement and admiration that's caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar? 
Well, what I want to do today is show you how actually this is such a good definition of Christmas. Not because of the presents or the lights or the food or all those other good things, the books, but actually because Christmas is about the arrival of a king. We heard it in our passage before, our passage for today, Zechariah 9, and that's how it starts off. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king has come to you. See, the history of the world is a tale told in kings and kingdoms. People grappling for and holding on to power. There's something about us as humans that we desire kings. Someone to put things right. Someone to look after us and be over us. And so what that means is that every single one of us has a king. Have you ever thought about that? We all live according to the dictates of someone or something. Maybe it's people, a person, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's money, maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's reputation, maybe it's power, maybe it's yourself. See, whether we like it or not, we all have a king, either an external one or an internal one. So the only question then is who is the rightful king? who should be king, who's best qualified to be king. And the message of Christmas is that the supreme king has come. He's entered into the world. And what Zechariah 9 shows us is why this is a king worth getting excited about. This is a king worth feeling wonder at. Do you remember our definition of wonder? A feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. And that is what our king is. Beautiful, remarkable, and unfamiliar. He's beautiful because he's righteous. He's remarkable because he's gentle. And he's unfamiliar because he's humble. And that is why Christmas is a time of wonder. And so the first part of our definition is that that, uh, beauty is who our king is, beautiful. Now, of course, beauty is something that we do associate with kings and queens and royalty. This here is the the St. Edward's crown. That is the the crown that King Charles wears. And you can see it's got 22 carat gold. It's got that wonderful purple silk. It's got that lovely white velvet down the bottom. It's got 444 precious gems on it. It is a beautiful object, and if we saw King Charles walking towards us with that crown on his head, I'm sure our breath would be taken away at its beauty. But of course, that's not all you get when you see a king. You also see the carefully manicured horses. You see the fine silks and robes. You see the sparkling jewellery. Seeing a king is a beautiful thing. And part of the wonder of Jesus is the beauty But his beauty isn't in his looks or his attire, but rather in his character. Our king has come and he is righteous. He's not a despicable despot like Mao Zedong or Saddam Hussein. This king is righteous. We'll continue in our passage. It continues. It says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. See, our king has come. And he's righteous. And that is a beautiful thing. This king is a king who always does what is good and right. This is a king who will stand up for those the world does not care about. 
This is a king who will be completely committed to the cause of justice. This is a king who will care for the lowly and the downtrodden. That's the kind of king that this king is. And isn't that the kind of king that we long for? Isn't that the kind of king we want to rule over us? Someone who's righteous and good. Because so often it feels like that's not what we have as leaders. I don't know what your opinion is of politicians. Have a think of politicians. How often do you hear about politicians who wrought the system for their own gain, who give out jobs to mates, or who use uh, taxpayer money to fund special, ta- special projects in their electorate, essentially using our money to pay for them to get re-elected. We're so often exposed to leaders who are not righteous and good, who exploit others for their own gain, and that is an ugly thing. But if we're honest... We know that the ugliness is not just out there. The ugliness is also in our hearts too. We see inside of ourselves the ugliness of selfishness and pride and greed and anger and envy. Everything we do is tainted by this ugliness. But Jesus' beauty is seen all the more in his righteousness in contrast to our ugliness. Everything that he does is righteous and good. He's kind, merciful, loving, just. And isn't that the kind of person we want to be king? We're thinking back to our definition from the start of wonder, a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable and unfamiliar. We've seen the beautiful about our king. He is righteous. Now we see the remarkable. Our king has come and he is gentle. Have a look at the verse again. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, gentle. This king is gentle, which is quite different to what we might expect. So often we're used to kings being powerful and mighty, domineering and strong, using their army to crush those who oppose them. And even today, many of our political leaders are not gentle, These are our most recent leaders, Dan Andrews, Scott Morrison, Anthony Albanese, Tony Abbott. Not many of them we would describe as gentle. So often, we don't think of our leaders as gentle. To become a leader, gentleness is something you need to put to the side. As the saying goes, you've got to crack a few eggs if you're going to make an omelette. Yet this king, this king is gentle. It's quite remarkable. But of course... It's important that we're clear, gentle doesn't mean weak. Because Jesus is not weak, he is unstoppably powerful. Do you remember near the end of his life, soldiers come to arrest him, one of his followers pulls out their sword, his sword to try and fight off these soldiers who have come to arrest him. What does Jesus say? He says, put away your sword. If I wanted, I could call an army of angels to defend me. And that is strong, that is power to have an army of angels at your disposal. But even more than that, Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who made all things. He has unlimited power. And we see that in his life as well. It's simply a word. Jesus calms the storm. He casts out demons. He mends crippled legs. He even raises the dead back to life. Jesus has power far beyond our comprehension. And it is precisely because of that incredible power that Jesus' gentleness is all the sweeter. Because he uses that power and that strength 
in service of us, his weak people. See, in Jesus, we see the true balance of strength and power, strength to protect and defend, but not to be harsh or cruel. Strength to fight and to win, but not to be arrogant or domineering. And don't you want a king like that? One with strength and power, but strength and power that is not used against us, but is used for us. That's why the biblical image of a sheep and a shepherd is is so fitting, because sheep are manifestly weak and powerless, weak and vulnerable. So they need shepherds who are good and strong, but who will not use and abuse them, but rather use that strength to protect them. And like sheep, we need strength in our shepherd, strength with gentleness. See, weak men are often preoccupied with boasting about their strength. But truly strong men don't give their energy and their attention to parading their strength, but rather to demonstrating gentleness to those in their care. Insecure men flex and threaten, but men who are secure in their strength use that strength to protect those who are under them. See, our king has come, and he is gentle. It's a remarkable thing. And finally, Christmas is a wondrous thing because there's an incredible unfamiliarity with this kind of king. That's because our king has come, and he is humble. When we think of kings, we think of pomp and glory, trumpets blaring, banners waving, golds glittering, soldiers saluting, people bowing. Yet this king has come, and he is humble. It's such an unfamiliar thing to us. Our our passage continues. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, when this king comes, he doesn't come on a mighty war horse, but on a lowly donkey. Now, we might hear that and we might think, oh, that sounds a little bit lame. What's going on with that? We might think of Eeyore. We might think that sounds a little bit kind of unimposing, unintimidating, a little bit lame. But I think in one sense, that's the point. It is meant to be a humble thing. It is meant to be an unimpressive thing because it shows us just how humble our king is. And think about what an act of humility Christmas time is. God, come down as man. The one who made all things, stepping down into his creation. In a sense, Christmas is the celebration of an infant who is older than his mother. In fact, an infant who is older than the world. As the early church father put it, now this is what he said, Augustine, he says, he was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he had formed. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. It is a remarkably humbling Thing that Jesus has done, entering down into his creation. But all the more the way he did it, he came down to a 15-year-old teenager, not to the royal family. He came down to a barn, not to a palace. He didn't come down to the main city, but a little backwater town called Bethlehem. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Is that not humility? Our king has come and he is humble. Why did he do it? 
was to deal with the ugliness inside of us. It was to deal with our sin. See, in our king's humility, we find the only path to our sin and our ugliness being dealt with. In his humility, Christ obeyed perfectly the law that he had given, the law that we so often fail. In his humility, he suffered ridicule and rejection, beatings and crucifixion at the hands of people he had made. In his humility, he tasted the curse of death, a curse pronounced against us, sinful humanity. In his humility, he quietly suffered the wrath of God poured out on him, the wrath that belongs on us. And in his humility, he'll bring us, wretched, undeserving sinners, to share in his kingdom. See, our king has come, and he has come with humility. And so thinking back to our definition at the start of wonder, a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable or unfamiliar. And isn't Christmas a truly wondrous thing? It is beautiful because our King has come and He is righteous. It is remarkable because our King has come and He is gentle. And it is unfamiliar because our King has come and He is humble. And so how should we feel then? Our passage tells us, it says right at the start, rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. That is what we are to do in light of the coming King. When we see His righteousness and gentleness and humility, then we realize He is a King worth rejoicing in. At Christmas time, we are to be joyful. Do you ever find that hard? Just this week, I, I read an article. It was titled, Christmas Joy Feels More Elusive Than Ever. And this is how it starts off. This is the first few lines. It says this, Christmas, most of us are brought up to believe, is all about joy. Joy about being with loved ones. Joy about giving and gracefully receiving. Joy about the permission we all have to kick back and be festive. Joy for many about the pageant's religious significance. But joy feels as elusive as a Tassie tiger right now. It is a unicorn, a needle in a haystack. I know I'm not alone when I say that this year. Finding joy feels almost impossible. I wonder, does that resonate with you? Is that what you're feeling like? Like finding joy feels almost impossible this year. In the article, he goes on to say why he is finding it difficult this year. He says that he sees the war in Ukraine and Russia, the war in, with Israel and, and the Palestinians, and he feels like the world is broken. He also feels the loneliness of his kids getting older and his own parents dying. And each year, he says Christmas reminds him of his own mortality. He describes that kind of morbidly. Uh, this is what he says. I can never help but partly feel each Christmas is but another melancholic toll on the clock of rapidly passing life. I wonder, do any of those resonate with you? Does finding joy feel almost impossible this year? Maybe it's for the similar reasons that he said. Maybe it's for something else for you. Maybe it's just the stress of the season. There's so many gifts to buy, so many people to think about, so much food to cook. The joy gets swallowed in the stress. 
Or maybe it's the sadness of the season, sadness of loved ones no longer with you. Sadness of the fact that you're struggling to make ends meet. Sadness of the fact that maybe you have a medical diagnosis. That means this might be your last Christmas. Or maybe it's the impermanence of it. As good as the day might be, it all passes so quickly. I used to find this a lot when I was a kid. I used to get really excited about Christmas. It would come and it would be a good day. Then on Christmas night, I used to feel this weird sense of sadness. That another day gone so quickly. Another Christmas gone so quickly. See, in this season where we're meant to feel joy, does finding joy feel almost impossible? Well, what's the solution then? And the wonderful truth of Christmas is that joy is possible regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the world out there or in my life in here. How do we get that joy? Well, it's by drawing close to our King, the one who's righteous, gentle, and humble. So it's in His presence that we can have true joy, regardless of what's going on out there. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, talks about it, and this is what he says. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, you must get close to or even into the thing that has it. See, if we want, we know that's how it works. If we want warmth, we need to stand near the fire. And if we want joy, then we need to stand near the one who is the radiance of joy. We need to stand near the one who is the source of joy. We need to stand close to this king, righteous, gentle, and humble. And when we draw close to him, then it doesn't automatically mean that all the other challenges are gone. Of course not, they're still there. But even so, it gives us an underlying joy, a foundational joy, that comes from being close to him, the source of joy, from being close to him in the presence of our righteous, gentle, and humble king. And that is a joy that sustains even in the ups and downs of life. And it's that joy that makes Christmas such a wonderful time. And so this Christmas, I hope you will find joy. Not the fleeting joy that comes from presents and food and lights and books and all of that other good stuff. And not even a joy that comes from life going well. But rather, the joy that comes from being close to our King. The righteous, gentle and humble King. I'm going to pray and ask that would be the case. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came down into the world to rescue us ugly sinners. Thank you that he's righteous and he always does what is good. Thank you that he's gentle despite his tremendous power, that he uses that power for our sake. And thank you that he's humble. He was willing to humble himself for our sake that we might be saved. This Christmas, we do confess we find it hard sometimes to find joy. The world does feel like a messy and a messed up place. So this Christmas, would you help us find joy in our King, in King Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.